like I said, we're gonna talk about rebooting your leadership and what does that look like? And this is a time of year a lot of people are starting to rethink how to do some things differently. Uh, this is when we are rebooting our health goals. Like, oh, I ate 85 pounds of turkey over the last six weeks. And so I need to do something about my health. Or uh, I actually talked to somebody who, uh, as a church, we were starting a fast uh, at the beginning of 2021. And they said, uh, they said, hey, I'm not gonna start my fast till we're done with our Christmas cookies. And I was like, I don't know if that's how that's supposed to work exactly, but, um, but there's all kinds of things that people are doing now. They're going, hey, we just spent a ton of money on Christmas. We need to reboot our finances or get our credit card debt under control. There's all kinds of things that we're trying to reset right now. And I think that's common at this time of year. One of the things that we will do when, it's, uh, when it comes to a leadership reboot or reset is we typically don't do it unless we have to. It, it happens whenever there is a crisis of some kind. So when we have a, a failure, um, uh, our team doesn't perform like we'd like them to, we have a failure of some kind, or um, maybe there's a stagnation. Maybe we just have a moment of reflection where like we're doing right now at the end of, or the beginning of a year when we reflect and go, man, something needs to change. Uh, and this is typically when a reboot will happen. Um, some of you, as I look around the room, a couple of you guys have military background experience. And so we're gonna talk through something that I think is really helpful and really interesting. Uh, and there's a, what's called an AAR, it's an after action review. And it was originally developed for military purposes to review actions afterwards, after action review. So they would look at what was done and they would just have an objective conversation about it. And the goal of an AAR is for people to, um, to kind of disregard rank, disregard roles, and just have an honest conversation about what actually happened, about the results. And it's not supposed to be uh, a judgment about performance as much as it is an objective conversation about what actually took place. And I think this is really important for us. So I think there's gonna be application for you personally. And I think there's gonna be application for you if you lead a team um, to be able to, uh, to apply it in those ways as well. So we're gonna walk through this and talk about it a little tonight. There's four questions that are basically asked in an after action report. And uh, because I didn't think that was good enough, I've got a couple more that I added, um, but, but we'll start there. So if you're taking notes, you're writing stuff down, I've got a, a lot of lists for you tonight. So um, be ready to write. Uh, number one, the first question you ask in an after action report is this, what did we intend to happen? Which sounds like an insane question, doesn't it? Like after it's over with, you ask the question, what, what were we going for? What were we trying to do in this again? Uh, but the reality is if you lead people, if you're part of a team, you understand how often you end up with the results and you go, is this the result we were shooting for? Do we even know? Are we sure? Because so many teams and so many organizations are shooting at goals that they don't even know what the goals are. They can't, they have never identified the win uh, or even if they have, uh, their actions throughout haven't, haven't reinforced that that win is the actual win. And so um, maybe you, you are part of a company or an organization that say, hey, people matter to us. People are number one. But the behavior of the company is that really sales are number one. And so as a result, you could get to the end of a, of a, a season and go, okay, what, 
What was the actual goal? What were we really trying to do? Uh, so think about it even in your own personal life. Uh, maybe you came to the end of 2020 and many people were like this because the year was so weird. Um, there are people working from home who has never, have never worked from home before. Um, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks of quarantine, all kinds of stuff. That it would be easy to get to the year, end of the year and ask yourself, did I accomplish what I set out to accomplish this year? So it's not as crazy a question as it seems like originally. Because really the question is, what was the, what was the original goal or the desired outcome? Or what was the win? And if you don't know what it was, then that's a good place to start. That's probably a good indication of why you didn't win too. It's because you didn't know what the actual win was. So for you personally, or even with a team, it's important to be able to say, hey, what did we intend to happen? What was the goal? Um, and to be able to articulate that and walk through that. It's even better if you can do that before you take action, but it's important to be able to identify this question. What did we intend to have happen? Uh, the second question is this, what actually happened? Um, and again, this seems like an idiotic question, but I've been part of organizations, and I'm sure you have too, that when, <clears throat> when you ask what happened, all you hear is the whitewashed version of what happened. You don't hear any of the negative. You only hear the positive. And as a result, the organization doesn't grow. Your department doesn't move forward. Your leadership personally doesn't grow because you're not being honest about what actually happened. You're looking at the best possible version of it. Now, I'm not the person who thinks you gotta always be negative and always be crushing yourself because you weren't good enough or whatever it is. But I think you have to have an honest conversation about the results. You have to be able to honestly talk about where we ended up and what actually happened. Um, one of the most important things we can do, because if you lead at any level, it's hard for leaders to be honest. And it's easy to sit in, an, in a debrief after an event and to talk about what did we do? Um, you know, what happened? You know, what could we have changed? And you're talking, but they know you don't want honest feedback and maybe it was your failure, but you can't admit it and they won't say it because they don't want their jobs or their roles in jeopardy. And so as a result, again, there is stagnation because you can't be honest about what actually happened. So what you have to do as a, as a leader is check your ego at the door. You just have to say, okay, I might be part of the problem. If I am, then something in needs, me needs to change. Um, there've been a number of times that, that, I have been asked to help coach other pastors or churches. And I enjoy that when I'm paired with somebody who wants to be coached. Um, but one of the problems is I've been asked to help some churches. And one of the first things I ask is, hey, what if your pastor is the problem? Will you fire him? Well, no, 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 we would never do that. It's like, well, okay, then I, I don't know if I can help you, you know? we'll do whatever we need to do, but we're not gonna change this or this or this or this or this. It's like, well, I don't know if I can help you then because sometimes the pastor is the problem. Sometimes the department head is the problem. They think it's a problem with the department, but it's not, it's the department head. Uh, sometimes the CEO is the issue. Um, most of the time, problems don't go up the chain, they go down the chain. And so if there is a problematic department area, whatever it might be, uh, if, if that continues over time, a lot of times it's, it's the boss. And so what we'd have to do is have an honest conversation about that. And many times um, leaders just can't. We, our pride, what, our ego, whatever it might be. So what we have to do is just check our ego at the door, have an honest conversation. Uh, we have to have these conversations with people we trust. 
And as leaders, again, sometimes it's hard for us to trust the people around us because we've been hurt. As a leader, um, we've been told you gotta keep an emotional distance from the people you're serving and leading. Um, But in my experience, and I know what we do here is different than what you may do in your job and what your, your industry is, but I don't know how to lead people without loving them and without giving them my heart and being in relationship with them. And if you do that, and if you lead that way, there's an excellent chance you're gonna be hurt. And so what our, what our, our tendency is, is to keep people at a distance and to um, not trust them. So as a result, we don't have honest conversations about what happened uh, because if they say something, we're wondering what their motivation is and what are they trying to say? And are they being subversive or trying to undermine me or whatever it is? So we have to build trust and we have to have these conversations, let them be able to speak their mind. Uh, One of the questions I think is really important to ask when you're asking the question, what actually happened? And especially during this last year, one of the things I've talked to a couple of different leaders about is to ask yourself, uh, because a lot of organizations struggled during 2020. And so instead of just going, man, that stunk, I'm so glad 2020's over. uh, One of the questions I've told a couple of pastors to ask is, what did we anticipate well and what surprised us? So what are the things we anticipated and we pivoted when we needed to pivot? Because the reality is there's not a human being on planet earth that predicted COVID-19 this year. I mean, maybe if you were a virologist or something like that, you did. But no normal person was gonna predict that everything would happen the way it happened this year. So we all lost in that way. But what were the things that came along that, that we decided, we made a decision that we looked far enough ahead out the front window at the, the, the windshield and we could look on the horizon and go, hey, that's gonna be an issue. We need to pivot there. Um, because I almost guarantee you that there was some place that your team did that. So ask yourself that question. Um, what did we anticipate well? How did we pivot? What, what did we do well in that? Because that's a good thing to ask. Uh, and then the other question that I would ask in regards to what actually happened is what surprised us? What totally took us off guard this year? What set us back this year that we didn't anticipate or maybe couldn't have anticipated? Um, And that goes right into my next question. What caused the difference? So what was the difference between um, what we intended to have happen and what actually happened? So what was the difference in those two things? Was um, Was it something we could control like effort or preparation? Because if we're gonna be honest, a lot of times our failures as an as a employee, as a leader, as a department happened because of a lack of preparation or a lack of effort. We think it's gonna be easier than it is and we get to it and then we just don't give the effort we needed to give. Uh, so was the difference between what I wanted to happen and what actually happened because of me, because of my effort or my preparation? Because that's stuff we can control. And if it is, then this is where, and I'll just be honest with you, um, I had a conversation with one of our team uh, this last week, and we were talking about something that the team member was, was feeling like, man, I had a failure. And so we talked through it, and I, I just said, um, I'm not worried about this. I haven't thought about this because I know you're the type of person who you're not gonna let this happen again, that you're more concerned about it than I am, that you're gonna work on it and get better, that the things you can control, you're gonna fix for next time. Um, And so it's important for us to think analytically about the things we can control and then just make sure that that's not the difference between what we wanted to happen and what uh, actually happened. So think about the things you control. Think about the things you can't control. I mentioned this already, COVID-19. We couldn't control that this year. 
Uh, I'm going to be doing uh, a, a year in review with our church here in uh, a few weeks. And this is the first time I'll ever do a year in review with our church that I'm going to have to tell our church that uh, our attendance is down over the previous year. I've never had to do that before, but I'm still going to do it. Um, I would do it even if it wasn't for COVID-19, but COVID-19 is something we didn't expect. That's, that's something that impacted us that we can't do anything about. So we just own it, we're honest about it, and we move forward. Um, so there's things like that, things like cultural shifts. Uh, maybe there's shifts in your market, in your industry that you can't control what's going on and, and maybe that will mitigate some of your, how you feel about what caused the difference. Because um, again, the things we can control, we need to do something about. The things we can't control, we just shouldn't worry as much about those things. We need to pay attention to them. We need to be honest about them, but we shouldn't worry as much about those. And, and I said this earlier, we just need to be honest about our failures. If we were part of the problem, we need to be honest enough to go, you know what, I screwed up. I was not good enough. I didn't bring my A game. Um, so that, that was on me, guys. And when we can do that, it's amazing. Um, I told Tracy, my assistant, uh, we were talking today, and I just said, um, I'm giving you guys a sneak peek to our uh, year in review, by the way. So at our year in review, I'm gonna have to tell our church, number one, uh, hey, our attendance is down, which all churches love to be able to say that from stage. Our attendance is down from this time last year. So that's number one. And the other thing is we spent more money this year than we brought in. Now there's good reasons for both of those and I'll explain both of those. But I told Tracy, I said, I'm gonna have to tell our church both of those things. And I said, but the good news is if, we, if we're honest and transparent about that and our, and our people are right and good, then it's actually gonna build credibility with our people. They're gonna look at that and go, hey, they're not just honest with us when things are good, they're honest with us when things aren't good. And, and I would encourage you, be honest even when things aren't good because it's gonna help build credibility uh, in your team. So the first three questions, what did we intend to have happen? What actually happened? What caused the difference? And then the third thing is this, what can we learn? Um, I mean, basically, what do we need to do differently moving forward? Uh, this is such an important question because if we're going to be honest, I read an article a few weeks ago. There was this uh, neuroscientist and uh, I don't remember his name. I'll make sure I get it in the notes for you guys if, uh, if you're getting the notes later. And this neuroscientist was talking about how uh, there are neuropathways in our brain and the different sections of our brain control, uh, control the questions of... Um, Oh, basically what happened and what do we need to do differently? So this question of what happened is in one part of our brain and the part of our, another part of our brain asks the question, what do we need to do differently? And so there literally is a disconnect between what happened and what we need to do. And so have you ever in your own life or maybe uh, in somebody you were trying to lead, you were talking about things that didn't go very well and then you were talking about action steps and it never happened. Um, maybe in your own personal life, you get to the end of the year and you're like, I'm gonna work out every day in 2021 and we're on day six and you're like, nope, blew it already, right? Um, why? Because there's a disconnect, a literal disconnect in our brain between what needs to happen and what we actually do. Um, and so one of the things he said that we need to be asking ourselves is the question, um, what will it take to? So we ask ourselves this question and we can ask uh, our subordinates this question as well, people that we're leading. So instead of just saying, hey, this was bad, do better. Um, one of the important things to say is frame the question like this, what will it take to 
um, see sales go up in the next quarter? What will it take to see more students come to Young Life Club next week? What will it take to, because there's a natural connection between that question and action. And so you can build action to that pretty easily when you ask the question, what will it take to? Um, this is, I mean, I, I, car, yeah, we have a car dealer in the room, I just realized. So car dealers, what is it gonna take to get you in this car? You know, they're asking the question, they're putting action to it. And I think we can do the same thing. What is it gonna take to see the results that we wanna see? And I think you can ask yourself that same question. Okay, uh, not just I'm overweight and I need to lose weight. Great, we all know, right? But what it, will it take to see the results that I wanna see this year, or this quarter, whatever it might be? Um, so, this is not gonna be very profound, but um, try something new. If you don't like your results, do something you've never done before, maybe. Um, it, it's funny, I, I talked to a person a few years ago and they were talking to me about their problems with, with weight gain. And they said, Pastor Mel, um, I've tried everything. I've tried everything to lose weight and I can't lose weight. And I was like, well, really, what all have you tried? Well, I've tried, uh, I've tried these pills and I tried, like they'd done the lap band surgery and they'd done all kinds of stuff and they just couldn't lose weight. And it was funny because at the end of the conversation, the only things they didn't name was um, exercise and eating less. And it was like, <laughs> I'm no doctor, but <laughs> that might be the answer, Right. Like she had tried everything except what she actually needed to do. And at the end of the day, maybe we need to just to try something different. Um, maybe our team needs to do something different. Um, just brainstorm solutions. Again, brainstorming, real brainstorming has to happen in a context of trust. Um, if you've ever brainstormed where people trashed the brainstorming ideas as they were coming out, you know that that crushes trust pretty quickly. So brainstorm ideas. Guys, man, as a team, as a department, as a company, we didn't see the results we wanted to see. What do, we, what do you think we need to do differently next year? And again, we have this honest conversation and let some people speak into some things. Uh, one of the things that we do um, as a church is whenever we plan our sermon series for the following year, um, I'll open it up to our entire staff. So we'll have admin people, um, even our janitor, if she wants to come, she can come be a part. But we have people that are part of that meeting that are never part of sermon prep, uh, that are never gonna be on stage because their perspective is different. And we've had some great ideas come from those people because they're thinking differently than I think. Um, and so brainstorm alternative solutions for the things that are, are not currently working for you and for your team, for your department. Um, this kind of goes along with that. Seek out alternative viewpoints and, and allies. So ask some people who maybe think differently than you what you might need to do differently because their solutions are gonna look a little different than yours do. Um, what else? I, we won't go real deep into this. You know, one of the things I think you can do when you're trying to figure out what do I learn from this failure we've just experienced is talk to a, talk to a mentor or a coach. Uh, if you don't have a mentor, you need to find one and they're not gonna find you. So you have to go find a mentor. And a lot of times a mentor is gonna be somebody who cares about you, is invested in you, um, but they're gonna be honest with you. They love you enough to be honest with you. And so I've found that when I have honest conversations with my mentors, it is painful at times, but it's so helpful because they're an objective third party who can go, hey, why, why did you do that? Well, this is why. Well, no, 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 you should have never done that. You should have never let that person do this. You should have never said that, whatever it is. They can see things from a different perspective and they're gonna say things sometimes that the people you're leading or the people that your peers with won't say to you. So uh, talk to a coach, talk to a mentor and uh, they're gonna be able to speak into that. So 
the military on their after action reports, their AARs, they have these four questions. Again, just to make sure we reiterate, what did we intend to have happen? What actually happened? What caused the difference? And what can we learn? Because I didn't feel like that was sufficient, I've got two more. And these aren't nearly as intense as the first four, as you could probably tell if uh, you didn't know I'm not in the military. Uh, so here's one that sounds so Dr. Phil, I just didn't know a better way to ask this question. So the fifth question I would ask is, who are we being? That does sound a little like Oprah or Dr. Phil, doesn't it? Um, leading it really is, if we boil leadership down in so many ways, it really is about uh, who am I and what am I doing? Um, because my character, my heart matters as a leader. And then ultimately it doesn't matter how good I am or how moral or how kind or just I am. If I don't do anything, then that doesn't matter. It's gotta be these two things together make a good leader. Um, and again, if your performance, 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 but your heart and your character and all that stuff is not there, then it doesn't make any difference. So those two things have to be there. So one of the things I, I read recently, there was a um, corporate coach named Dane Dunstan. And in an interview, Dane said this, in my work with clients, I asked two questions to prompt self-reflection. Who am I being and what am I doing? And he says, the language is very specific. It's not, who do I aspire to be? It's not about judgment, it's about observation. So one of the things that's so interesting about this is that he, he was very specific. Again, he said, who am I being? And, and what, one of the things he said, which I thought was really interesting, is he said, he feels like observation changes outcomes. So when you help somebody observe who they were being, and maybe in hindsight, this is who I was being, this is what I was doing, this is what I was acting like, then it helps them understand um, what needs to change or what needs to happen. It gives them better understanding of, um, oh, the changes that need to be, take place in, in who you are. Um, and again, I thought this was pretty interesting because how many times have, have even we said something like, man, I did this, but that's not who I am. It's like, and I've said this from the stage, 100%, that's who we are. If I say something mean to somebody, uh, that might not be who I want to be, but that's who I am. Like in that moment, I just said something mean. I am a mean person in that moment. And again, we don't wanna face these realities, um, but sometimes what we do is an out, growth of who we are. And so sometimes if there's a failure on our part, if there is a, a lack of success, if there is whatever it might be that we're evaluating, sometimes it comes back to who we are and what's going on in our hearts and our own lives. And so we have to ask the question, who are we being? Um, or, or who was I being? What was going on in my heart? What was going on in my mind? What was my motivation for being like that? And then what needs to happen to, to move forward? Because again, um, it's, when we can identify what we were thinking and what was going on in our hearts or what currently is, it makes it easier for us to make a shift moving forward. Uh, the sixth and final question I would ask is this. Um, <laughs> and this sounds totally off compared to the military questions, but that's okay. One of the questions I ask in our reviews, our annual reviews is this. What were you doing when you had the most fun? And again, this feels like a total departure. So let me, let me get more specific. Um, I am not the person who will ever say, go chase your, your passions and that's what you need to do with your life because the reality is um, that's what's caused a whole bunch of college graduates to major in um, like, like 
theatrical dance and now they are substitute teaching and because they followed their passions and now they can't make a living. And so I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying we've lied to a generation of people who when we've said, follow your passions. That's not what I'm saying here. What I am saying is uh, when we ask the question, what were you doing when you had the most fun? For me as a supervisor in a review session, what it does is it helps us see a little bit of their heart. When they say something like, man, like an admin person might say, man, you know what? I loved when we did this outreach. I love being able to help with. That gives me a glimpse into what helps them come alive. So it's not just something that they are passionate about or something that's fun, but it's something that they're probably gonna excel at if we can get them in that kind of role. And so for me, it's important for us to identify that and look at that and be able to help people um, be successful and do things that maybe, not just that they're good at, but that they enjoy doing as well. If we can marry those two things, then it's gonna be good. But for us in our own lives, when we're doing self-evaluation, I think it's really important for us as leaders to look back and go, man, what was I doing when I just came alive? What were the actions? What were the behaviors? What were the things I was doing when I just felt good, when I was really flowing in my strengths, whatever it might be? Because so many times leaders get stuck doing things. And if we're gonna be honest, every person in this room, every person watching online, um, you have to do things as part of your job or as part of your role that you don't love doing, but you have to do. That's just life. That's grown up life. Um, but if you can minimize the stuff that is... Um, if you can minimize the stuff in your role or in your job that is sucking the life out of you and, and emphasize more the things that you really enjoy, it's gonna help you perform better. It's gonna help you perform at a higher level. And the things that you hate doing, somebody else loves doing. Um, and, and you think, Mel, you're crazy. No, I promise. We've got people on our team who love doing um, computer work and putting people in Excel spreadsheets. I hate that stuff, but there's some people who love it. And so the key is finding people who love doing the things that you don't love, minimize the stuff that you don't enjoy doing, and, and that's going to help you perform better next time. So with that said, uh, six things that I think will help you reboot your team, reboot your own leadership moving into uh, 2021. So... Uh, my esteemed colleague, Michael Bon, one of our ministry residents here at Summit is, uh, are you gonna be running the mic everywhere? Yeah. Okay. Michael, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. And uh, if, you, if you're new to Leadership Night, you might not know Michael. If you're not new to Leadership Night, you definitely do because <laughs> Michael is usually the first one to ask question and he always has a list. Do you have a list on your phone right now? Yes, I do. I expected that. So um, feel free. If you guys have questions, let's ask, and we'll open it up to the room. I'll answer some of them, whatever we want to do. So, so I'll just start off. Um, <clears throat> when trying to find out what actually happened, how would you work with someone who spins the truth in order to Gosh. advance their own position in a hierarchy? Does that happen in the world we live in? I don't think so. I think everybody is 100% honest all the time. Um, okay, I'll, I'll take a stab at this one, but I'm happy to hear any feedback you guys have. Um, sometimes there's nothing to do but just be brutally honest with them. And I try to, I, I never want to crush somebody with that stuff, but sometimes you have to. Sometimes they're just so unaware and so oblivious that you have to go, okay, here's what, here was your role in this failure. Here's what actually happened. Here's what, um, but, but I really try to, 
That's one, and even in reviews, I try to ask questions. Hey, tell me, what did you think about? Hey, I noticed you wrote this down. What did you, what did you mean by that? And let them ferret some of that out. And then I can agree or disagree or whatever it might be. I used to do a thing with reviews where I would have them score themselves. And then I would either agree with them or disagree with them. And that was really helpful. But sometimes people are just oblivious and you've got to go, hey, I'm sorry, you're wrong. I love you, but you're wrong. And, you know, try to coach them through that. Anybody have any feedback on that? How do you help somebody who is living a lie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can uh, <laughs> repeat it with different emphasis. So you're saying that you had nothing to do with the failure? Is that what you say? Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's helpful to establish the difference between someone who's oblivious or not self-aware versus somebody who's, who's intentionally malicious. lying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and again, if you've got somebody who's intentionally lying on your team, that was your fault if you hired them. <laughs> you know, like you need to do something about that in the first place. Um, and that's a, whole, that's a whole nother leadership night. But if it's somebody who just is oblivious, yeah, I think you just have to have an honest conversation. Did you have your hand raised over here? No, now you have to answer. What do you, no, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to put you on the spot. What else? What other questions? Anybody else want to respond to that? I know some of you are supervisors and you've had to do that. And, and honestly, if you look around the room, we've got some, I'm, I love the fact that we've got some younger people in the room with us tonight. So thank you for those of you that are college age, high school age. Are all of you guys back here? No. Yeah. All you high school. Oh, there you go. You can be tried as an adult. Good job. Okay, any other questions? If not, I'm gonna unleash Michael. Yeah, the question for those watching online, how do you deal with somebody who has a hard time accepting responsibility or, uh, or taking the blame? Yeah. Uh, I guess one of the questions I would probably ask is that person as reluctant to receive the, uh, the accolades if things go well? You know, like I, that's one of the things I would care about. Because if this person, maybe this person legitimately is not fit to be a leader and they don't understand their, the role of a leader is to take too much blame and not enough credit, you know? And if that's the case, then it's a fit issue more than it is, what do I need to do right now to fix the leader? Um, but I think, yeah, I think part of it is just, like I said about Michael's question, just have an honest conversation saying, hey, here's what we did. And I know maybe you feel like this person didn't perform their best. Why didn't they? And, and uh, so we've had some situations like that where I've talked to somebody on our team who's a supervisor and they've gone, man, this would have gone better, but this person. And so, okay, well, tell me about what happened. Well, this person, da, 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 da. Okay, well, why did that happen? Well, when we really dig down, what happens is this person didn't communicate very well to them or the supervisor put them in a bad position and ultimately they failed because the supervisor didn't do what they should have done. And so I think it's asking the right questions and, and digging down. I think, I'm not a micromanager, I don't think. I think I've got a few staff in here who would 
I'm not gonna look at. They can respond. I don't think I'm a micromanager, but I wanna know everything that's going on in an organization as much as I can because then I can speak into that. So then I can go, hey, I know you're supposed to be communicating this to them, aren't you? Well, yeah, okay, well, then isn't that kind of your fault? Well, yeah, I guess you're right. Does that make sense? I don't know if I answered your question or if I just talked in circles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, in, in certain environments, I mean, obviously our culture is, our, our environment is different. In a sales environment, it's really easy to put dollars and cents on it and say, hey, here's how much money you cost the organization. And if your bottom line is uh, dollars and cents, and if people measure their value in the organization based on sales and how much they bring in, it makes it really easy to be able to go, hey, you, because you did, you did this in 21 days and you should have done it in 14 days, you are, you, there's a, quanti a quantifiable way to say you are costing us money. Like you are hurting us when you do that. And I go, that's really hard, but that, like in a, in a situation like that, it's easy to, to measure that. Does that make sense? So yeah, I would totally use numbers like that if you could. Yeah, great, great question, Scott. Who else? It's off to me, so how do you decide who to review? Um, or just stop doing what I'm doing and then I think I, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. yes, you need to stop. Right. <laughs> you need to stop doing that. That's bad for you, it's bad right. for the, because you probably have some people under you that you're trying to raise up, and the problem is when you're doing that, you're not allowing them to have it, you're giving them responsibility, but not authority. And okay. that's problematic in an organization. So you've got to give them responsibility to lead their people and the authority to do it. That means you're going to step away. Now, it doesn't mean um, we've all had, I'm going to say it this way. We've all had seagull leaders and a seagull leader is somebody who flies away and they come back and crap on everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't want that. We don't need that. But so there's got to be a balance between, hey, I know what's going on, but I trust you to lead in that way. So what if, if I was you, uh, knowing a little bit about what you do, I would probably say, hey, here are the four key leaders that I'm leading and trying to empower to lead people that are down the team. Mm -hmm. And so I'm gonna take these four and I'm gonna pour into them and help them understand my heart and what our values are and what we're trying to accomplish. And then, you know, I'm gonna touch base periodically with them and I'm gonna ask how things are going, but I'm not gonna go back through and go, tell me about this. Tell me about with every single, Yeah, that's probably what I would do in that situation. Okay, seagull leader, leaders. I yeah, it. don't be a seagull <laughs> leader, that's right. <laughs> that's all I got from that. Be a seagull leader, got it, Mel. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> Just on that topic too, because micromanagement is something that I've struggled with a little bit too. And I've, something I've found to be super helpful is knowing who I'm working with on any given night. So there are certain people that I work with who benefit from micromanagement, from yeah. like being led from step by step by step, baby steps the whole way through. And then there are some who would find that intolerable. Um, and then yeah. usually the natural leaders are the ones who, you know, you, you wouldn't want to micromanage so much. And that, that's kind of like what you were talking about with having the four people or so mm -hmm. that you can invest into. So a lot of it is your leadership style will change depending on the rotation of people that are with you in any given moment. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. That's good. What other questions? Got some good ones. 
Yeah. Thanks, Michael. So, um, as someone who has had to deal a lot with AARs, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, giving and receiving, uh, I think that as a piece of suggestion that I would give if anyone's going to take away from tonight and use the AAR questions for their whatever leadership role you're in, um, to actually use that as an opportunity to kind of humble yourself as a leader, because sometimes it's hard to hear what they have to say. And then we often get really defensive and start to like, they give a suggestion, well, I think we could have changed it by doing this and it would have made it better. And then the instant reaction from the person giving the AAR is, well, I had to do it that way because of this and this, yeah. this, and then I had to do this, and they just Before kind of like undermine. Yeah. 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 And I think um, when that's happened to me in the past, it was very frustrating because I felt like I wasn't actually being heard and vice versa. Um, it's not really a good role to do as a leader as well. Yeah, so, yeah. that's good feedback. That's good. What else? Here's another question. When trying to find out the cause of mistakes, how do you tell whether the cause is incompetent employees or a system which fails to promote excellence? Wow, that's a good question. Anybody have some feedback on that? I'm, I'm working on an answer. Anybody have anything, any thoughts? Is it incompetence or the system, basically, right? Yeah, Aaron. I think one clue that you could have is if you look at your organization, you're just burning through people. Mm -hmm. And and if your answer is, I, I'll just get rid of them and I get another person, that'll fix it. And then you encounter a problem. You say, well, I'll just get rid of them and I'll get another person. After you've done that for a while, you have to look at yourself or the organization and see yep. there, there's a system that's broken that's causing that because it's not possible that everybody that walks through your door is incompetent or unable to be part of the organization. Um, so I think that's that's certainly one clue to that problem. Yeah, I agree. I think that's probably that's probably the biggest red flag, you know, because again, when I've coached other pastors or churches and they're like, well, I just can't find a youth pastor. I'm like, well, tell me about that. I've had four youth pastors in six or in, in three years. It's like, okay, well, tell me. Well, this person, it was their fault and their fault and their fault. I'm like, well, maybe you're bad to work for. Maybe, you know, you're setting them up to fail. Or, yeah. So I think that's, that's a good way to, to measure that. Because again, by definition, it's systemic. Um, but I think you can also get lucky, uh, unlucky and have a series of bad employees too. And so, yeah, I think it might be and both. You take a hard look at both those things. Am I hiring the wrong people? You know, am, am I incompetent maybe in my ability to see talent and uh, into something need to change? I think those are both good questions to ask. But yeah, good answer, Aaron. It's good. It's good. What else? You people are making it too easy for Michael tonight. <laughs> Michael, you, what other questions do you have? Can you speak <laughs> about the role a person's attention plays in an excellent performance? And what's the difference between laziness and an intentional reduction in attention? <laughs> this feels like a conversation we had earlier this week. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, walk through that again for the people who didn't, weren't privy to your and I conversation a few days ago. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about how if somebody's really good at something and they're maybe having an off night or they're exhausted, those, both of those things contribute to a drop in attention. So you're not paying as careful attention to what you're doing. And the idea is that if you're not paying careful attention and say you're super talented at a given thing, somebody else who's super talented and who's paying very sharp attention is going to beat you every time at that thing because, and the attention is the difference. That's the difference, uh, differing factor. And so I'm interested in knowing a little bit more about the role that a person's attention plays when it comes to excellent performances. And if there's a difference between somebody who's sort of just being lazy versus somebody who is maybe pulling their attention from a, a certain task so that, so that they can give it to a better one or give it to something that's higher in their priorities? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's a lot of layers and multifaceted there. So I'll, I'll give it a shot and I would love to hear some of your feedback as well on that. Um, so uh, I, I heard a, a podcast with Mike Rowe um, a few days ago. Mike Rowe hosted Dirty Jobs and it was, really, it was a really interesting conversation. And one of the things that I, I took away from that, which I thought was really interesting, is he said uh, in the first two seasons of Dirty Jobs, because the person asked the question, how many people got hurt on that show? And he said the first two seasons of Dirty Jobs, we didn't have a single injury because every place we went to, there were the OSHA meetings we had to have before. And he said all of the camera crew and everybody involved was leaning in, we were paying attention. And he said, but by the time we got to season three, we all thought we knew what we were doing. We stopped paying attention. And he said, we started getting broken bones and concussions and all kinds of stuff just because we thought we knew what we were doing. And, um, and I felt like that was so, so appropriate for so many people. I think we have a level of success in our leadership and then we do take our foot off the gas a little bit. We stop paying attention. We, we don't feel like we've got to give as much to it. And the question you were asking about the difference between laziness or kind of mastering a skill, um, I told Michael, oh gosh, this is going to sound arrogant the way I'm going to say this, isn't it? it is. Yeah. So uh, tonight when uh, one of the guys was coming in, I, we were talking and he said, man, pastor, I want you to know you've never preached a bad message. And I was like, I would disagree with you about that. But you and my mom, you both think that. Anyway, but one of the things I, I told Michael as we were talking about it, I, I feel like I've gotten good enough at preparing and delivering a message that there are times that I have to go, hey, I can't give, um, I can't give the time to have an A message this week because um, maybe there's something going on with my, one of my daughters or something needs attention. So instead of giving... 10 hours to sermon prep, I'm gonna give seven hours to sermon prep. So instead of having an A message, I'm gonna have a B plus message. And the reality is most people don't know the difference between an A and a B plus message. You, most people don't, they can't tell, but, but I do. And so there's times that I've gotta make a decision and go, hey, this is a judgment call, this is a value call. And it's not that I'm just mailing it in and going, eh, they don't deserve my best. But there's sometimes I think as leaders that we have to go, okay, um, could I, could I cheat my family and give an A plus message? Absolutely, I could. But something's 
something's gonna be hurt there. And I think as leaders, we do that. And the danger is when we get good at something and then we just stop trying, we go, ah, I can coast. And we've all seen people like that, that do that. And that's when our attention to detail goes down and we think, well, I've been here a long time. I've got seniority, I've got whatever it is. And I think that's the danger in between those two things. Does that answer your question? Yeah, and there's another piece at the end of that that I thought was interesting that you all might benefit from. You probably are aware of certain things in your life that are second nature to you. And we kind of talked a little yeah. bit about what's muscle the difference memory. between, yeah, like having, cause we should aspire to have muscle memory and, and be able to be so good at something that it's second nature. But is there a temptation when it comes to things that are second nature of being complacent because you know that it's second nature to you? And how do you sort of combat that temptation? Yeah, that's a good question. And when we were talking about, I talked about Michael Jordan, he would, like taunt other players that were on, you know, standing at the lane. He would taunt them and close his eyes and shoot a free throw. And he would make it because the muscle memory, he just knew what he was doing. He'd done it so many times. Um, is there any thoughts on that as far as Michael's question, feedback? Uh, maybe it was asked and answered so masterfully. Could be. <laughs> All right. So this is another question about rebooting leadership and rebooting just programs in general. If you're working with the same set of people and you know that you had a terrible program or a program that maybe hard times like 2020 exposed a lot of flaws and issues with, do you think it's better to run through and address all of those things with the people and sort of drag it all back up? Or do you think it's best to have like a clean break with the bad program and try to just start over fresh and new with something else? And is that even possible to erase the memory of the difficult times? Oh, I don't think you can erase the memory of the difficult times. I think if you're gonna start from scratch with something new, like a different program, for instance, I think what I would do is look back at the old program, why it didn't work. And if there were things that were outside of the program that was more about, I hate to say it this way, like deviant behavior or, hey, you know, we got off course of mission and vision. We, we drifted from that. If there were things like that generally, I would probably address those things. Uh, but I would probably, if we're going to totally change course and do something totally different, I would probably not worry about specific criticism about we didn't do this and this and this and this you know, that's program related. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That's probably what I would do, but I don't know. Anybody have any further suggestions or thoughts on that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. No, I agree. If those of you that are watching online didn't hear that, basically what he said is there's there are learning opportunities in every failure, and 100% there are. Uh, I think I've been part of situations where it was like, we're just beating a dead horse. Like, we're talking about things that are never gonna come up again, um, but that's where, if we talk about broader issues about um, diligence or persistence or you know, giving our best even in difficult situations, I think those are things that translate no matter what the specific context is. So yeah, that's good. No, no, you can't say it loud enough for the people online to hear you, sorry. You're loud, you're not that loud. 
Um, this will be quick. Whenever you're setting your goals this year, so you go through this process with your team and then you set your goals, I feel like I can't even bring up the goals from last year because the world was so crazy yeah. and it was so hard yeah. to... I, I just don't want to compare what we thought we could do because the playing field was so different. So how are you setting goals for your team after this reboot um, to be realistic to yeah. achieve them? That's a, that's a really good question. I, and there are a lot of different industries in this room, so I would love to hear some different feedback. Um, I know um, even for you, I would probably still talk about, I would still talk about the fact that, wow, nobody hit their goals last year and I get it and here's why and that's okay. Um, but even in different difficult circumstances, guys, we still need to give our best. And so, man, so many of you did that. I think that's still an opportunity to, to cast vision and to encourage and that kind of thing. But um, like for us, when we're talking about goals for departments and things like that, we've just had to kind of start over because it does look totally different. Um, like for us as a church, our, our, it, the big numbers we measure, like attendance and things like that, those are back to where we were in 2014. So it's like, it would be impossible for me to say, Ricky, at the beginning of this year, you had 120 kids on a Wednesday night. Now you've only got 55. That's a problem because then again, it's sending messages about what I see and what I value. And so I think you can set goals, but they've got to be, well, I think we've, we've done a goal. I think we've done a goal setting um, leadership night, but I think the goals have to be a stretch, but they have to be attainable. So obviously you can't go up from what they were last year if they only hit half of what they were supposed to hit last year. That's where you adjust it and you go, hey man, I see where you're at and you know, we're gonna adjust them, we're gonna stretch you, but we're still gonna make it attainable for you. Uh, I'm sure some are. Uh, and again, some industries are doing really well right now, you know, um, and should I say this? No, I'm not going to. Um, one of the things, one of the things some companies I, I think should consider is um, doing quarterly goals, uh, semi-annual, and that way it, it makes it a little more bite-sized. And one of the things I've seen some organizations do, some companies do, is they have team goals. So they go, hey, here's what your team's goal is. Here's what your team, but as an organization, our goal is this. And if we as an organization hit this goal, then we all get a bonus. And so it gives everyone buy-in in that and it gives everybody an opportunity to, to play a part in it. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's an opportunity to get really creative, I think. Just totally change some things up. So what about the rest of you? I want to hear some other responses to that. I have another question. Oh, any other, hold on one second. Any other responses to the, the goal thing? I'll just walk over. You can talk into my face. Is that, <laughs> is that awkward if I did that? Thanks, Michael. Um, yeah, like you said there, I, I think too often we get stuck on this idea that goals have to be an annual cycle. Mm -hmm. and, and twofold to that, one is, like you said, we should look at, you, you got to be, a big term in business today is agile. Yeah. You got to be ready to adapt. You got to assess the situation like COVID this year. Mm -hmm. it, it throws things upside down and you got to stop and say, okay, let's reevaluate where we're at and maybe three months into the year, six months in the year and so forth. <clears throat> the other thing is don't wait until the end of the period to assess things. 
you got to be actively involved. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I've seen that situation where you set an annual goal, you talk about it when you set it, you yep. don't talk about it until it's over either. Yeah. And a lot happens in between there, and you and people really drop off. Mm-hmm. And and some people, it's just too late to save at that point. Yeah. So be active, regularly discuss things, and regularly evaluate things. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Greg. I think it's, it is easy to set a goal and to walk away from it and then just crush them at the end when they're like, you were terrible. You didn't do anything. But as a supervisor, we didn't do anything to support them or assist them or come alongside them or help them win either. Um, so that just makes it even more awkward then because they know they're not hitting their goal. And anyway, so yeah, good feedback, Greg. Yeah, you talked earlier about um, people coming alive with, you know, with certain passions. Yeah. I just had a review with a, a staff member and they kind of told me something that they really wanted to do and it just makes them come alive. But my gut tells me that they wouldn't be good at yeah. that task. Yeah. Um, how do you balance giving them what makes them come alive and really the health of the organization? Uh, I, this sounds really simple. I think it comes back to honesty. I think you just have to be honest. Uh, and uh, there might be some incremental things that you could do to go, hey, I can't put you in that role because to be honest with you, I don't know if you could do it. And that would be bad for you. It would be bad for the organization. But hey, why don't we try this? Why don't you take on this responsibility? And that's gonna help us see if that would be a good fit. And so if you, if you have the ability to adjust their job description, to give them an incremental change, and you could just tell them, like, I'm judging you on this. Like, you know, you are interviewing for the job you want right now, you know? So I think that's, I think that's helpful. And, and I think one of the things you have to do when you have that conversation is let them know. Um, I don't know if you can do that in this organization. And if that's something you feel passionate about that you have to do, then maybe you have to find another organization to do that in. And I'm not threatening to fire you, but you know, I can't have you in your role if you don't want to be doing this. And, you know, so I think you can be honest about it and gracious about it. And again, it depends on the industry. Um, I've worked for bosses that if I had that conversation, they'd be like, oh, you want to be doing this instead? Well, good luck with that. You've got two weeks to figure it out, you know, and that would be it. So um, that's probably how I would handle that. Uh, Anybody else have any thoughts or feedback on that? Really good question. And it's cool, uh, and let me say this too, I think it's good that they trust you enough to tell you that. Um, Because again, I think a lot of people would not trust their supervisors enough to say, hey, I'm doing this, but I really wanna be doing this because they would be afraid of, you know, the blowback. So yeah, well done. Question in the back. Good job, guys, making him run like this. We keep going all the way across the room. I love it. We'll make this one our last question and we'll cut the uh, stream and then if you guys want to talk a little more when we're finished we can scott go yeah ahead. um you talked a, a lot of your answers seem to go back to us being as leaders to being honest with people that seems to be a, a, a line that runs through all of the yeah. ma- uh, leadership in general yeah uh, i was curious if you'd ever if you're familiar with arbringer institute and the self-deception concept that, I, I've, that they, I'm not. Okay, I'm sorry. I could have I, said yes, but I would have been lying to you. Um, it's more sorry. or less self-deception, you know, yeah. not, not deceiving yourself into, and being honest with yourself. And I just wondered if maybe you would ever consider doing a, a night where you talk about that concept. and Yeah, self-deception? Yeah. Yeah, we actually, a couple years ago, 
Um, when did we do Deadly Viper Character Assassin series? Was that 2015? That's old school. That's going way back. We did a series. It was, it was one of the funnest series we've done. Um, we would get killed because people would accuse us of cultural appropriation today. But um, we did this series called Deadly Viper Character Assassin. And the premise of the series was that there are these assassins that are out to destroy your character. And one of the assassins we talked about was uh, self-deception. And um, that, was a fun, that was a fun series. Anyway, so we did that back in 2015. I think it was in February of 2015, if I remember correctly. If you're interested, you can go back. But yeah, I would be happy to. Uh, I'll take a look at that. If you don't mind, email me the information you talked about, and I'll dig into it. I'd be fascinated with that. So... All right, 7.58, guys. Uh, we want to make a commitment to you never to go past 8 o'clock. We want to respect your time. One thing I want to tell you, though, before we go tonight, if you ever have gotten coffee at Commonplace Coffee, uh, our friend TJ Fairchild is the owner of that uh, establishment. And tonight he's going to be featured uh, on a uh, Discovery Channel show. It's at 10 o'clock. Do you know the name of it, babe? Undercover Billionaire. It's at 10 p.m. on Discovery Channel. And uh, so check it out. Support uh, our people locally. And uh, yeah, cheer them on. So uh, let me pray for you guys and then we'll be done. And if you wanna talk a little more or have some more questions, we can do that. God, thanks so much for everything you're doing, everything you've done tonight. God, I pray as we walk out of this place, Lord, you would have given us at least one nugget, something that we can apply to our own leadership, uh, something we can do differently to help us lead better, help us to speak into and correct and coach and lead people in a way that is going to help them get better as well. So God, I, I pray your blessing on us as we leave here tonight. Lord, I pray that um, tomorrow as, as we go to work or go to school, I pray that you would just bless us as we lead and as we influence the people around us. And I pray that ultimately you be glorified through it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Guys, thanks for coming. Love you. God bless you.